I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 63, in which we discuss Line with Jay. And I'm posting and recording this portion of this on, what is today, Tuesday, October 4th, 2011, Um, although my conversation with Jay actually happened a few days ago. Now, before we get into the conversation with Jay, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a Sandy update, and then just a touch of listener comments. Um, My conversation with Jay was fantastic and a hair long, so I'm not going to do a whole lot of introduction here, um, just to try to keep things to a reasonable length. So, Sandy update, I am kind of at a pause on my pinwheel quilt. I have decided, actually I've known for a while, I was going to do yo-yos in the center of each pinwheel with a button on top. I think it'll be kind of cute. Um, I've not made yo-yo makers before, I'm sorry, I've not made yo-yos before, I know the premise. I've seen it done. I know you can do it with a template. I decided to go the yo-yo maker route where you actually buy the um, plastic form to help you make yo-yo makers. I tested it out at a quilt show and it really does make it quite a simple process. Um, pretty much idiot proof. So I go, I went ahead and bought myself yo-yo makers at that same quilt show. And when I took them out this week to try my hand at making one and putting it on the quilt, I decided it really was a little bit out of proportion. It was too small. So I um, have gone online and I've ordered the extra large yo-yo maker size. Should have that in a few days and I'm hoping to um, get it in enough time that I can put together some appropriately sized squares of fabric in the right colors and then take it with me on my next trip. I'm going out of town this week for my anniversary weekend and then I'm home for a couple of days and then I'm back out of town again for week, uh, work for a week and bringing those yo-yos along to that business trip would be perfect because that's a meeting, um, like I said, I'm out of town for a week and there are periodically random times when it would be really nice to have some handwork to do while we're sitting around chatting before we go to bed, that kind of thing. So that's my hope. If I can get those yo-yo makers in time, I should be able to carry that out. My snails trail quilt, I made some good progress on that this weekend. I was able to get all of the blocks squared up and pieced together, so I now have the center done, and it's looking good. Um, I did want to respond to Landscape Lady, who had posted a comment on the blog entry where I posted a picture of the completed center. She asked um, whether I'm doing a border, and if so, what color. And so I want to respond to that here, so it's kind of organized, everything about the Snail's Trail quilt all in one place. I am actually doing two borders. I'm going to do the kind of standard narrower inner border, and then hopefully wider outer border. It sort of depends on how much fabric I've actually got of my outer border fabric, because this entire quilt is made from stash fabric. So I'm just using what I've got and therefore kind of sizing things accordingly. Um, The inner border is going to be, if I recall which fabric I had picked out for that inner border, I think it's going to be kind of a um, very vibrant kind of red orange or orange. I guess it's more of an orange red. It's more red than it is orange. So I think that makes it orange red. (laughs) Am I correct in that? It's a uh, modeled fabric, so it'll read solid. 
And I think, you know, typically that inner border for me, I tend to do like an inch to an inch and a half. I don't want it anything really wide. It just needs to kind of set things off a little bit. And then my outer border is this wonderful fabric I inherited from my mom. And I had been eyeing it for a long time before that. I've always loved this particular fabric. And it's a floral print, but it's kind of, there's, I don't want to say small flowers because that implies calico. It's not. Um, they're probably the flowers themselves probably run in the two inch size range ish and the flowers uh, there's a lot of negative space between them so there's a lot of background fabric showing the background is a very deep charcoal gray and then the flowers themselves are in tones of like orange salmon fuchsia kind of flowers it sounds horrendous i think when i'm describing this but trust me it's pretty uh so i'm hoping to get those borders on um, within the next couple of weeks i don't know i'm not home much and uh, i need to get those on before i do the applique because the applique is going to actually extend out over the borders so that's my next step on the snail's trail quilt and then the only thing i've actually made um more progress on this week because i've had a lot of evening meetings and responsibilities is i think I mentioned before that I had gotten my cautionary tale quilt back from the um, long arm quilter. She did a beautiful job on it. And yes, it is still out of square. And I did take one more shot at squaring it up until I finally decided I was going to bag it and just slap the binding on it. Nobody else would ever notice. And so I've got the binding on the front and I'm working on hand sewing the binding on the back. And I should be able to get that done this week before I go out of town. I'm, I'm already like two thirds of the way done just from watching TV last night. Um, and so the, the quilt itself is slightly smaller than a twin size. It's sort of a very, very large throw. Maybe it's twin size. I don't think so. I don't know. I've hacked so much off of this stupid thing trying to square it off that I have no idea what size it is now. Um, but even once I get that binding done, that'll be nice. There's st I still have to figure out kind of what I'm doing about a label for it, but I'm not going to expend a whole lot of energy on that. Because again, I'm, I'm giving this to a niece of mine not that um, I don't care about my niece and therefore I don't care about this quilt, but I also know, you know, she's in college. The quilt will get beat on and that's what it needs to be. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it needs to be loved. <laughs> so so uh, I'm not going to expend a lot of energy trying to make this thing absolutely perfect. That being said, I will say, go figure, this quilt that has given me grief from the very beginning, best darn mitered corners on my binding I've ever had. I don't know. Maybe I need to make every one of my quilts seriously unsquare. Maybe that's the secret. I don't know. Um, but the, the binding is going very nicely. I've got to figure out kind of what I did differently this time to make that work. Normally, I don't have too much of a trouble with my um, bindings. The front always looks nice. It's always where that back corner ends up when I'm sewing that miter down on the back side. That can sometimes be a little questionable. This time working nice. Who knew? Um, listener comments. I am very, very thankful for everybody who has sent in comments. I just don't have time to respond to all of them. I will say that Noni, aka Lady Rags, sent a couple of links, and I'll make sure I post those in the show notes that she thinks are kind of related to our topic. And um, Holly did respond on Facebook that uh, the homework assignment had her watching herself making fabric choices for applique shirts that she's working on. And she says, I definitely fall into the group of folks who knows when something works or doesn't, but can't say why. Thanks for starting this. Um, she means the design series. So it's easier to figure out what to fix. So Holly, you should be ready for today's episode about line. So here we go. Without any further ado, let's get started. 
Jay, thank you so much for coming back for a second shot at our design series. And today we are dealing with what? Line. All right. Why line? Why are we dealing with that first? Well, it is a pretty easy concept to start out with, and I want people to feel excited and successful in this whole project. So even though most of what I've read, the teachers start out with the principles rather than the elements, I thought that line would be a good way to start. And we can always switch back and forth if there are some principles that relate to elements that we've already covered. Okay, so line is then an element, not a principle, which we talked a little bit le about last time. So let's talk a little bit about what we mean by line. What is line when it comes to art and when it comes to quilting? Well, I found some good definitions, and one of them is a line is a mark on a surface that describes a shape or outline. So what that means is if you take a white piece of paper and a black pen and you draw a triangle, that's a line that describes a shape. Another definition is a line is the path of a point. So when you put your, your pen on the page, you start out with a point. And as you draw across the page, it becomes a line. And that's from a pretty good website that I'll post on my blog because it's way the URL is way too long for me to say here <laughs> unless you want me to say it. That's okay. Nobody will remember it anyway. So, <laughs> And those that are driving, please don't try and write any of this down now. Okay. And then um, the other one, which I thought was, was good, was a line is a mark made by a moving point and having psychological impact according to its direction, weight, and the variations in its direction and weight. So what that means is if you draw a triangle like we described before with a 0.07 Pilot G2 pen, which are my personal favorites, it's going to look different and say something different than if you draw it with a pencil or a Sharpie or some other kind of writing implement. That's all that means. And so I was thinking about quilt blocks because we're all quilt makers and lines in quilt blocks can draw the eye around the quilt once you put them, once you set them together. For example, if you're making a double four patch quilt, which is a four patch with a plain block next to it, a plain block under that four patch and another four patch. So the four patches are on the diagonal. Uh, a four patch, a double four patch set in diagonal rows will draw the eye from top to bottom diagonally in a quilt. And an Irish chain quilt setting, it, and it doesn't matter if it's single Irish chain or double Irish chain or triple or whatever, it can frame plain blocks that you fill with quilting or applique or some other kind of decoration. And obviously, if you do a triple Irish chain, the frame is bigger than if you did a single Irish chain, but it functions the same way. Okay, so line, when it comes to quilting, can be created in a lot of different ways. And the ways you've just described, it's kind of where that contrast is between light and dark creates a visual line. 
so to speak, for our eyes to then follow through the quilt. Right. There are a lot of different kinds of lines in quilts. And I'm going to talk about those in just a second. But the line quality, and I want people to just think about line quality for a second. Keep that in your mind. It makes the work more more expressive and lines can act as a connector or boundary between shapes. So lines and quilts are generally seam lines or quilting lines. Those are the ones that we think of most frequently and those can be hand quilting or machine quilting and but pressing also creates a line and if you've ever read Ruth McDowell's book Piecing um, Beyond the Basics I think it's called. Again, put it on my blog the real title um, she uses pressing um, the way she presses the seams to create another kind of line. And it's it can be subtle, but we always think, oh, press to the dark, press to the dark. But if you want to emphasize a line, you, if you want to make it fatter or stand up a little bit, then you should press underneath that piece of fabric that you want to emphasize, even if it isn't pressing to the dark. Um, also, lines on quilts can be embroidery. So, sashiko or red work or couching or even those old-fashioned transfers that people used to do on kitchen towels. I've seen a number of designs similar to that for quilts. Mm-hmm. Um, sashing creates lines and an overall top design can also include strong lines. We talked about Irish chain. There's others like the jewel box and the diamond chain that all have that, um, the strong lines that are created by the blocks. Okay. And you know, I've been thinking as you've been describing some of these quilts between my mother's quilts and my quilts. I can post a couple of photos. I know I'm pretty sure I've got a photo of one of her Irish chain quilts. I've never made one, but she's done some of those, some trip around the world, some log cabins. All of these are excellent examples of how the blocks themselves create a sense of line. Yeah, trip around, trip around the world, depending on how the color is placed, is another really good example. I didn't think of that one. And I think that as people think about what we're saying, they'll look in books or whatever, other resources, and say, oh, yeah, look at the lines in that quilt. And there was one, there was a quilt on the, on the cover of Quilt Life, the August 2011 issue it has a tomato alternated with a black and white basket and that has really strong sashing lines uh, black and white sashing lines with a nine patch as the cornerstones and that is a pretty amazing example of line it's a it's a great quilt really fun too right now, you had mentioned early on that line can actually, it, it's very expressive. You can, it has, I believe the phrase was a psychological impact. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about how line, what considerations we should take into account when we're designing a quilt, when we're looking at how line can express something? Well, I think lines have dimension. So if you think about it in terms of quilts, Pearl cotton has more dimension than orophil thread. So you can 
do hand or machine work with both of those things, and, but the line will be different based on what you choose to use. And part of a design, part of your design decision-making process should be, what do I want this thread to show? Um, line also has width and length. So we talked a second ago about the difference between using a Sharpie and a very thin like Pigma, Pigma Micron pen. That Those lines will have different widths. And also lengths. You can make a one inch line on a piece of paper or you can make a 12 inch line on a piece of paper and that says something different. Lines are also directional. They can be horizontal, curved, vertical, diagonal, zigzaggy, straight, parallel, the list goes on and on. And if you think about quilting, all of those can be included in the quilting. So if you choose to quilt with pearl cotton and you choose to do curved vertical lines, that's going to look different than if you quilt with aurifil thread and make a bunch of diagonal zigzaggy lines. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that we didn't talk about ahead of time, so I'll give you a second to think about it. Well, here's the thing. You, in the art quilts that you have made, clearly you need to give some consideration to line. Can you offer an example of a very specific decision you made about the directionality or the type of line you were going to create in an art quilt Excuse me, and why? I mean, what kind of emotional reaction were you going after with that particular use of line? Um, the one that comes to my mind, partly because you just posted it recently, is the one that you had done um, shortly after 9-11. That wasn't, when you started talking, I was thinking of a different quilt. But okay. that quilt, I think you're thinking of what comes next. That is part of a series, and that shape in the middle, it is a very strong line and I wanted to create um, directionality. I wanted people's eyes to move across the quilt and I wanted it that movement to be emphasized and on that quilt there are words so I wanted them to read it. One of the things that I might do differently if I did that quilt again is just reverse that kind of L shape or Y shape that I put on that quilt so that people will read the words in the way that we actually read, which is left to right and not right to left. But I still think it's a, a good example of line. The quilt I was actually thinking of, I was working on last night, it's called Kissy Fish, and I have some pictures on my blog and references to it, but I'll try and remember to post uh, a picture with this, the information from this episode. And I was embroidering sort of last night vertical lines so it is it's a fairly small piece maybe 18 by 12 or something like that and I was embroidering vertical lines with pretty thick thread it's actually these packs of Oliver twist threads that come with something you can use in your machine and then a bunch of other types of thread but thread isn't exactly right it's sort of a cross between embroidery thread and stuff that you can only couch down 
And I was doing vertical lines because I wanted to emphasize that plants grow up from the bottom of the ocean or from the bottom of a lake. And the background colors in that quilt are really subtle. It's all blue. So the width of the line that I'm making, which is based on the type of thread or floss that it is, makes them stand out a little bit more. It You have to get close to that quilt to see these different things, but if you do get close, then you can they stand out. So line then can be used in and of itself in a variety of ways. It can be used to just simply bring energy and dynamism to a design, and it can also be used to emphasize elements, particular elements of a design, and it can be used to create a particular feeling or response. Is that right. kind of a decent summary <laughs> of the various yeah. ways you can use it? Okay. Yeah, it also directs your eye around the quilt. Right. Okay. Um, now, let us have just kind of a bullet point list of things we should be considering when we're designing a quilt when it comes to line. Well, I think that the first thing is what block you're going to use and how you're going to set it. So like I said, if you're going to do a four-patch, I saw a really great quilt where the four-patch was actually set on point, so it created really strong horizontal lines rather than setting it in a horizontal set and creating those diagonal lines. So the way you set your blocks and what block are two of them. And then sashing or no sashing, borders or no borders. And the part of quilt design that I think is not thought about a lot is the quilting. And I think it's important for my quilts that the quilting emphasize the piecing or enhance the piecing I don't think of the quilting as a separate design element that doesn't relate to the rest of the quilt. It's really personal preference, however. I don't want to say that doing an all-over meander is a bad design choice. I think the important thing to know is that once you know all the different elements of design, you can make an informed decision about how you want to go forward on any part of the design. And my preference for quilting is that it highlight the piecing that I've done. So those are the biggies, I would say. I guess also choosing the, the binding color is, is important because that can cre- create a line that either stops the design or lets it kind of flow out into the world and it might seem like a lot of decisions, but you're making them anyway, so it's good to stop for a second and think about them. You might as well make an informed decision <laughs> if you have to make a decision. Um, yeah, I, I think not all of us are going to be old enough to remember the game Pong. But <laughs> the very first, you know, computer game that ever came out, Pong, where you had these little bars and you bounced a ball back and forth. And as you and I have been preparing for this um episode online for some reason that image kept coming back to mind for me and I realize it's because there are there's quilts that I've seen and certainly quilts I've made you know in my uninformed state where you feel like your eye is just sort of bouncing around the quilt there's no real directionality to it there's your eyes flowing along and then all of a sudden this wall comes up of you know just kind of a distracting color whatever 
Mm-hmm. That, that's what attention to to design and to line in particular prevents. It's a much more controlled, here's where I want your eye to go when you look mm-hmm. at this quilt. And that kind of bouncing around can create a feeling if you choose to do that. I think a lot of people don't choose to do that. They just do it and then their message isn't getting across. Right. I found a really great definition this past week to include with the other definitions that we included last time. And that is from the Quilter's Book of Design, second edition by Ann Johnston. I think we talked a little bit about that last time. I had a chance to read some more of it, and it really is a great book. I haven't read the whole thing, but I would recommend it to people. You can check it out of your library probably and take a look. But the definition is from the introduction, and it says... Design is a problem-solving activity within all the arts, placing or creating subject matter, so it is a visual significance and interesting to the artist. So I just wanted to pass that along. Yeah, if it's not interesting to you as the artist, it's probably not going to be interesting to anybody else that's looking at it either. (laughs) Right, and I I was thinking, um, I heard something or read something about somebody who was making a quilt and they didn't choose the pattern or the fabrics. And I thought, this is, this goes perfectly with this definition because if it's not interesting to you, either via the design or the fabrics, then why are you making it? Right. I mean, yeah. there are obligation quilts, but I think that you can make it interesting. Right. Um, now, you had talked about a couple of different ways that people could have fun exploring line, playing with line. What are some ways that people could do that? Well, doodling is one, and I was reminded of Zentangles. I'm not a Zentangler, but I'm an admirer of Zentangles. <laughs> and there was um, a woman who was responding to my creative prompt project for a long time, and she would do a Zentangle every week. But the uh, website is zentangle.com. Again, we'll post it. And they're just a good way to explore line. So the basic idea is that you create a shape. So say draw a circle or a triangle. And then you fill it in with dots and other shapes and lines and spirals and curves and whatever. And Or you can subdivide the shape and fill it in. And the great thing about Zentangles is that they're wonderful practice for free motion quilting. A sketch is an example, too. And if you think about sketching, sometimes you look at a sketch and it's not, you don't see all the parts, but your mind fills in the parts. So the lines are implied or they're suggesting a whole shape. Okay. And you had also mentioned uh, contour line drawing. Can you talk a little bit about that, too? Oh, I love contour line drawing. It's so fun. What you do is you look at something and you don't look at your paper and you draw that something. And it comes out amazingly well and really interesting. I am not promising Renoir's from this, (laughs) but usually when I do it, and I don't do it that often anymore, so I'm not in practice you can tell what you have drawn and you can just sit down at your desk and draw whatever's in front of you. So I have this little montage or 
arrangement of photos and a clock and some little boxes and a little thing of wool, just a whole bunch of different shapes. And I've done that and it just comes out really well. I did one uh, of a from a photo that I took in Philadelphia of a the structure this guy is creating downtown. I think it's on South Street. I can't remember the name of it right now. I posted it to my blog a few a month or so ago, and that was just so fun. I I drew it with a India ink pen, and then I watercolored it with. Not very fancy watercolors. I just have a set of Crayola watercolors that I bought for $3 at <laughs> some store. It was just so fun. Hmm. And and you could also and not do watercolors, but once you do your contour drawing, you could fill it in with colored pencils or markers or Sharpies or some other implement that you find in your kid's bedroom or <laughs> at the Goodwill. <laughs> it's not... And I think one of the things you said to me, because I, you and I were talking a little bit before recording this, and I said that one of my issues is that I just struggle with drawing. I've never felt confident in my ability to draw. And you said, nobody ever has to see it. <laughs> it's just playing, you know. And, and I think that's important to remember is that we all feel like everything we turn out has to be perfect. But clearly, those artists who are now making a gazillion dollars, I don't know if any artist ever makes a gazillion dollars, but not until after they're dead. <laughs> but those, <laughs> those who are actually making a living at this didn't just spring fully formed as experts. You know, they did a lot of work and a lot of stuff that nobody ever saw before it got shown. And they continue to do a lot of work that you never see. Almost every artist that I read about or see, they carry a sketchbook or something with them all the time, and they're always doodling or drawing in it or writing down ideas. I believe, and this is what I try and practice, that you have to do a lot of work before you get to that masterpiece. And if you have the idea that... I'm not going to do it because it's not going to be a masterpiece. You'll never make the masterpiece. That's true. And I like most of the quilts that I've made. Not all of them are perfect in any way, and that's why I work in a series so I can try something else. Hmm. And it's a lot faster to do it on paper than in fabric. <laughs> so. True. And and frankly, a little less expensive <laughs> to try it out on oh, paper. Oh, well, there's that too. <laughs> there's that too. I would really encourage people just to take that junk mail, turn over the the come on for the new mortgage, and draw something on the back. <laughs> I mean, it's free unless you don't have a pen. <laughs> you can use your pens from work. Don't steal them, but you can use your pens from work and. Do some practice. Yeah. doesn't have to be a masterpiece. Just draw. Just have fun. Okay, so what we've learned in our episode today then is um, there's a lot of ways that lines become expressed in a quilt. Um, there's a lot of different ways to create line in a quilt and to be aware that different types of lines can create a different feeling and even a different emotional response. Um, and some things to consider. And you do also have a list of some examples um, of quilt blocks and designs with strong lines. I think those are going to end up on your website at some point as well, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, homework 
<laughs> we do <laughs> like to give homework. And you had a couple of great um, possibilities for this week. So why don't you go ahead and describe the homework? Okay, so I, in reading the books that I've been reading, and all of them will be listed on my website, um, I thought of three exercises. So exercise one, these are the supplies that you'll need. Piece of blank paper, which, as I said, can be the back of a piece of junk mail. Catalog or magazine pictures you're willing to cut up. Paper scissors, drawing or writing implement. Use anything, but one with a smooth line is really great. And a glue stick. So find a picture in your magazine or catalog and cut a 3 by 3 square out of it. Take a piece of blank paper and lay it on the table in front of you. Glue the 3 by 3 square from, from the magazine somewhere towards the middle of the paper. There should be at least 2 inches of white space around each side of the magazine picture. And turn the paper upside down so that your image is upside down. Now, with your pen, you're going to continue the image out from each side of the paper using the pen, of course. And you're not trying to recreate the photograph. You're going to look at where the lines end on that 3 by 3 square and continue them out. So you can make a curvy line, you can make a zigzaggy line, you can do whatever you want. Simplify the design in the square and its drawn continuation. Don't try and reproduce a photograph. And use the cutoff edges of that 3 by 3 square to make a new design. If you have time, do this exercise over and over on different pieces of paper with different pictures until you're happy with some of the results. And then you can use the simplified design or part of it as a starting point for a quilt. Okay, so let me just ask, I've got this one question, and I think I know why. When you turn at the very beginning, where you turn that image upside down before mm -hmm. you start drawing, is that so you stop looking at the image as representational? Yes. And instead, you are now just seeing the line itself? Right. Okay. That's the goal. Okay. All right, sounds okay. like a fun exercise. I want to try that one later today, I think. So, all right, what's number two? You can do exercise two with free motion quilting as well as a three-by-three three square of fabric on top of a small quilt sandwich, just FYI. So exercise two, you'll need a charm pack or a group of approximately 53 to 5-inch paper squares of all colors and designs. You could use a scrapbooking paper punch if you have that or cut a group of three to five inch squares of fabric or, or from your catalog again. Um, you'll also need a notebook or paper. Again, we're using junk mail, one of my favorite techniques, and a pen. So put all the squares that you've cut on the floor or on a table right next to each other. Don't arrange them, just put them out. Look at them to see if any dominant lines are exposed from what you're seeing. Make a note of how the lines show up. Do they show up because of the color, because of the design on the fabric or paper if you're using paper? What else? If you have a camera, take a photo and then rearrange the squares in some kind of order. And 
also, you don't need 50. If you want to use 20 or 30 or 10 or whatever, that's fine too. Make it work for you. Don't don't say, oh, I don't have 50 squares and I have no time to cut them up. Just use what you have. Okay, so we're rearranging the squares in some kind of order that you like. Look at them and see, again, if you see any dominant lines. Make a note of how the lines show up. Again, take a photo because you can see different things in the photo and then you could print it out and do the same thing that we did in exercise one with them, with what you have made. Based on what you see in the squares of your fabric, take your piece of paper and draw simple lines on it. So if you see a bunch of diagonal lines or a grid, draw diagonal lines or a grid on it. Uh, Okay. What you said about taking photos is so key. I mean, we know about that in terms of taking photos of our, on our design wall so that you can kind of take a step back. But I do think, especially if you do start doing things like, you know, taking the photo in black and white or whatever, you start seeing different lines appear than what you might normally mm-hmm. see just with your naked eye. Right. And you can also, there are some free graphics type programs on on the web. I think Picasso is one of them. So you could change those photos in different ways. This is not my expertise. Somebody else can talk more about it. But there are ways to enhance or make fuzzy. So one photo could be, um, could have a multitude of design ideas from it. Right. If that made sense. <laughs> yes, it makes sense to me. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. The third exercise you'd like to suggest? Yeah, and I was just thinking that maybe people want to have a notebook where they do the exercises in there or a sketchbook or something. I mean, they don't have to, but it was just an idea so you could keep it all together. But librarian coming out in me. All right, (laughs) exercise three. You will need a notebook or a paper. Again, junk mail is fine. Pen or writing implement. Colors are fun. Draw different kinds of lines. So draw zigzaggy lines, curved lines, broken lines straight-ish lines, continuous lines. Think of all different kinds of lines that you can draw. Horizontal, vertical, diagonal, that's it. Okay, so that's That's all you have to do. (laughs) In that respect, you're just kind of getting used to seeing line, essentially, and creating line. It's, It's the most basic way to approach line itself. Right, and I guess you could expand that out. So if you have, um, some graph paper, you could draw zigzaggy lines, curved lines, broken lines within squares on the graph paper and see how that changes it. But that exercise number three is kind of moving towards free motion quilting, thinking about preparing for free motion quilting. All right. And I can, I can also see it then becoming, taking it a couple of steps further and suddenly you've got a Zentangle in front of you. So there's, there's a lot of ways you could take that exercise three further if you would like to. Exactly. Um, I think I said I'm not, I don't do Zentangles really, but I'm sure people could go to the library and get some books on Zentangles and read about those. I think they have some information about line quality in those books as well. Okay. And like we said at the beginning, we'll post all those kind of links on 
on either my website or your website or both. We'll have them all over the place. Um, I was just kind of reviewing the notes, and the one thing we had it, we had talked about it, and for we did not actually mention it specifically, but line can also be created specifically by the fabric that you're using. Um, obviously, we think of stripes and plaids and things like that, um, but there are clearly some fabrics that have a directionality to them that in and of themselves create line as well. Um, yes, that's right. So that's something and, we also need to take into consideration. Right, and if you're using them in a quilt, stripes, for example, will make your eye move around. So just make sure that you want your eye to move in the direction that the stripes are going. For example, I was thinking about, I made a few blocks a long time ago called that I call stars in stripes. So I took some striped fabric and I made the diamonds of the eight-pointed stars in striped fabric. And the, after the, I made the first one, I thought, okay, you know what? You need to make the lines going all in the, on the same direction. So then I started placing the fabric so that all the stripes would point towards the center. And in stripes, you can have them go in all different directions, which is why I think people have some trouble sometimes using stripes with paper piecing. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big paper piecer, but I know that if you don't place the fabric right, it might look a little strange. Right. Yeah, I have made scrap quilts with stripes, and at some point you just have to decide, am I going to care about which way they're going or not? And just kind of move from there, you know, so. Well, that's a really good point. Think about the type of quilt that you're making and the feel that you want it to have. If you're making a scrap quilt, well, it maybe it doesn't matter which way the stripes are going. And, and those lines can create movement in the quilt. Right. But in other cases, it may matter a whole lot which way the stripes are going. So, yeah, that's right. clearly well, another consideration. Right. If you're doing a Baltimore album quilt, you really want the stripes going <laughs> right. in an organized direction. <laughs> All righty. Um, and we've got a list of resources, again, that you're going to be posting on your blog as well. So we've got we've given people the homework. And I think um, also one or both of us should kind of put that homework on our blogs as well so that people have it written out. And as always, I will invite our listeners, if you're playing along, if you're doing the homework, and you don't have to do the homework every time we do an episode, you can kind of pop in when you want to. Send us pictures, you know, post them to your blog, send us the link so we can see what you've got going on. It'll be a lot of fun. Post them to Sandy's Flickr group. That's a good place. Yeah, I would love to see them. And I also wanted to thank Vivian, who sent... Me, and I think she sent it to you, too, yep. an email um, about some really great design resources. One of them was a book that I had forgotten about called The Nature of Design by Joan Colvin. And I haven't really looked at it, but I just really appreciate her thoughtfulness and the time she took to contribute to our podcast. I'm going to put some of that information up sometime. <laughs> I haven't forgotten about you, Vivian. Um, I just can't do it right this second. Right. Yes, Jay and I had a dickens of a time, again, trying to get our schedules together to do this interview, but glad that we both found a, a time that in our 
different time zones, we're both available. And uh, it'll probably be, again, another two or three weeks before we're able to do the next episode. And, and do you know yet, Jay, what you want us to tackle next? As I was doing line, which is, as we talked about, an element, a lot of balance was coming in, which is a principle. So I was... The, the two factions in my head were having a little fight about whether we should do balance or not. And I think you have very smart listeners and that they could handle the fact that balance is not an element but a principle. Um, but I need to think about it a little more and just make sure I'm prepared. And if anybody has an opinion, please <laughs> tell us. Yeah. All right, so we might be doing balance, but we might not yet. We are leaving ourselves open to the possibilities. So, All right, I appreciate, as always, Jay, you being with us. Um, great episode, great information. I'm looking forward to um, doing my own contour line drawings and some other exercises, and uh, we'll see where we go next. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again, Jay. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this series. Can't wait for our next episode whenever that may end up happening. Like I said, everybody, I'm skipping town for a couple of weeks, basically. We'll not be posting an episode next week. We'll definitely be posting one the week after. Um, unless, I don't know, the stars and the moon don't align or something. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I'm looking forward to being able to post one the week after. So until then, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.